Good morning. Welcome. So we've been journeying the book of Nehemiah together, and we felt it was important um, moving into the summer to, to do that, to take a book of the Bible. We've been doing topical series throughout the, the last year, and we felt like, oh, it'd be really good to like journey a book of the Bible together as a community. There's something really powerful in reading scripture together, and it's something unifying as well, and that's what we want here. And, you know, the story we've, another Cavs reference, the story of Nehemiah is not unlike, uh, you know, the Cavs story. You know, as LeBron says, he's just a kid from Akron. You know, he comes up out of Akron and he's taken to the faraway land of Miami. And then he returns to rebuild the ruins of this championship, now championship team. Similar is Nehemiah's story, the narrative of Nehemiah as he's in exile serving under a foreign king as cupbearer and then hears news that Jerusalem is in ruins. He, he has a heart, his heart is broken to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the ruins of the city. And so the king, under the king's authority, he's allowed to go back. He's, giving, he's given safe passage back to Jerusalem, and he's given all the materials, the building materials he needs to complete this huge project of rebuilding the wall. And then last week in Nehemiah 3, we talked about names and how names are significant to God. We talked about the, the aspect of everybody gets to play uh, in the narrative. It's, it's it, naming one person, and then, it's a, and then it says next to them was so-and-so, and next to them was James, and next to them was Tom, and next to them was Keith, and next to them was Michael, and next to him was Sarah, and, and on and on. It was like everybody was a part of this. The scope of the project was huge, but everybody got to play. Not just, not just contractors, not just carpenters, but uh, goldsmiths and, um, and who else? Governors, people in, in positions of influence and power, and, and not just them, but, but everybody got a chance to play and be a part of the rebuilding of the wall. So today we're going to talk about Nehemiah 4 and opposition. We're going to talk about opposition. And mainly we're going to focus on how we respond to opposition in our lives. And if you have followed Christ for any amount of time, whether it's five months you've given your life to Christ five months ago, or whether you've, you've followed him for 20, 25, 50 years, you're going to experience opposition. One thing that you can count on is that if you, if you step up for Christ, if you choose to step out for Jesus, Satan will be right there. The enemy will be right there to step against you. Remember, Satan is our enemy. He wants nothing to do with the kingdom of God. He's a liar. He's a murderer, and he's a thief. And so anything that you put your hands to, remember the Spirit of God lives inside of you. The Spirit of Jesus lives inside of you. Anything you put your hands to, it's like Jesus is touching. And the enemy doesn't want that to happen. And so you're going to experience, either as a leader or as a follower of Christ, at some point in your journey, you will experience opposition. And that opposition could be very intense at times. That opposition could in include threats to your family. 
That opposition could include threats to your business. That opposition could include mockery or ridicule of your faith. It could be any number of things, but, you, but one thing is certain, you will experience opposition. I wanted to read to you a journal. This is from the diary of uh, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. Um, Sunday morning, May 5th, preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. <laughs> Sunday p.m., May 5th, this is the same day, preached at St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, following Sunday, preached at St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. (laughs) Sunday night, May 19th, uh, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May 26th, preached in a meadow, chased out of the meadow as bull was turned loose during service. (laughs) Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday night, June 2nd, Afternoon preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came out to hear me. The Wesley brothers tried to plant a church in Savannah, Georgia, and it failed. It was around for like a year and it failed. The church plant failed. It wasn't time yet. You're going to experience opposition. Now we look back at the Wesley brothers as the founders of the um, Methodist movement and the writers of some of our dearest hymns, some of the songs that have been around um, Christendom for for ages. You're going to experience opposition. Igor Sikorsky was 12, and his parents told him that competent authorities had already proved human flight was impossible. He went on to build the first helicopter. In his American plant, he posted this sign, said this, according to recognized aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and weight of his body in relation to the total wing area. The bumblebee does not know this, so he goes ahead and he flies anyway. Nehemiah would have loved this sign. This story shows that whenever you try to accomplish anything significant for the Lord, you're going to face strong opposition. Satan never bothers with half-hearted people who are content with a ho-hum spiritual existence. That's what we're going to read about in Nehemiah 4. If you walk around your days and you're like, ah, things are going okay, things are going well for me, things, I look outside and I see rainbows and roses, things in our world are doing all right, Things are okay. I, I might call into question, like, well, what are you putting your hand to in the kingdom? Adversity and opposition are a sure sign that we're stepping into destiny as followers of Jesus. If you're experiencing adversity in your life, it's a sure sign that you're pressing into whatever it is that the Lord would have for your future. If you're not experiencing any sort of opposition in your life, I'd I'd call into question you saying yes to Jesus. You need to say yes to Jesus. 
And that yes comes at a cost. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you, it could cost you in your reputation. It could cost you in your job. It could cost you in your family. There's a cost attached to discipleship. But it's worth it. It's worth it to follow Jesus. So let's pray and invite God's presence. Father, we, we welcomed you with our worship. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you live in our hearts, Holy Spirit. We pray, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. We need your presence. We cherish, we, we treasure your presence in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would, um, that you would come, you would, you would speak to our hearts as we um, unpack uh, your word. I pray that your word would be alive to us this morning. It wouldn't be just some words on pages, but it would be life and, and living water and, and breath and fire and oil. I pray that you would wake our hearts up this morning. I pray that you would teach us how to respond to opposition. And I pray, God, that you would lead some to faith this morning again, as you're so faithful to do. We thank you for what you are doing in our midst. And we give you glory. We just say more, more of you, Jesus. We need, we need your presence. More of you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're no strangers to feeling opposition in, in the city of Cleveland, are we? I've seen shirts out there that, uh, and maybe you have seen some of these as well, that will say, Northeast Ohio versus the world, or Cleveland versus the world. There's this mentality that the world is not for the people of Cleveland. If you live in Cleveland, you're like, man, the whole world's against us. The whole world thinks we're losers. Well, not anymore, A. And B, that's not the case. But it may be true that there is opposition in your life. So how do, how do we respond to Opposition. We're experiencing some of that opposition at Healing on the Streets and in our ministry downtown. And our, resp- our response is important. How we respond downtown at uh, Market Square Park is, is important for our future. We're, we're seeing fruit. We're putting our hands to the kingdom. So it's natural that we're going to experience opposition there. That doesn't change the fact that some 84, 85 people have come to put their faith in Jesus for the first time since January of 2016 through Healing on the Streets. It's amazing. Praise God for those 84 people. And not only that, but we've started a small group of folks who have put their faith in Jesus to continue discipleship. It's amazing what the Lord is doing there. So it's only natural that the enemy would want to come against that. So we're going to read in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. When Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned 
as they are, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they doing? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their stone walls. Critics. Critics bringing discouragement. Critics bringing discouragement. One thing that we notice right away through the narrative of Nehemiah is uh, constant uh, gain a yard and then lose two yards. There's this triumph of Nehemiah going before a foreign king and receiving favor from that king to go back and rebuild the wall. That's a win. And then there's the setback of Samballot and Tobiah who are now heaping words of discouragement upon the Jews. In chapter 3, there's an advance. And then in chapter 4, there's a setback. There's another advance later on in the book. They start to rally and pray in this chapter, and they see an advance happen. And then uh, Samballot and Tobiah form armies. Um, Samballot is to the north of Jerusalem. And Tobiah is to the east of Jerusalem. So these are governing bodies, governing authorities who don't want to see this wall built, whether it's, for, um, whether it's going to interrupt their trade routes or whether it's just going to bring another political power into the region. They don't want to see this wall built. And so they're using discouragement within earshot of the workers. They're saying, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? It says that Sam Ballot was angry. The Hebrew word here for anger is, is like burning. He was burning. Sam Ballot was burning with anger. And I would say that this is one of the ways that you might experience opposition in your life. Someone's anger sometimes without you even knowing it. I've had people come up to me and say, I'm, I'm angry with you, and I don't even know why. Sometimes, and, and, you, and you might say, gosh, this is news to me. I thought we were buds. <laughs> I've been mad at you for two years, and I just need to confess this to you that I've been angry with you. You're like, gosh, I never knew. Thanks for telling me. Thanks for telling me that you're mad and dealing with that passive aggression. (laughs) Really appreciate that for my health. Um, So one way that you'll experience opposition is through anger. He was burning mad. A secure and independent Jerusalem would threaten his economy. The enemy often uses angers, the anger of others to try and squelch the newfound joy and zeal of new believers. If you've just come to faith, you might have experienced this in your family. I'm aware of a few of these type of stories with people in our midst who are sitting with us. One young man comes to faith, put his faith in Jesus, is serving faithfully at healing on the streets. He comes from a Jewish background. His family disowns him. He says, I want to get baptized. I love following Jesus. Family doesn't show up to the baptism. Of course not. They're mad. 
I'm aware of other stories from, from people sitting next to you who have come to faith in the last five, ten months, who have experienced anger from people who are closest to them. It's a sign that they've accepted, they've received the, the real deal. If Jesus, if it wasn't the real deal, if it was some form of empty or cold religion, there'd be no reason to be upset. But because you carry the living presence of Jesus inside of you, that's going to offend some people. That's going to make some people angry. Why? Because it brings into conviction their lack of personal faith. The cross of Jesus is offensive. It's going to offend many people. Why? Because it goes, it flies in the face of how the, the world system works. The world system says uh, power through domination. The cross of Christ says power through sacrifice and giving yourself up. And anytime you hold up the cross of Jesus in your life, that's going to make some people uneasy. It's going to make some people angry. We never tell people that when they come to Jesus, do we? Like, oh, so a lot of times in the church we're like, oh, you know, come to Jesus. Everything's going to be roses. Everything's going to be amazing. You're going to experience joy and you're going to experience peace. But that's not often the case when people come to Jesus. They're feeling an overwhelming sense of peace and joy in their hearts. But the outside influence is not necessarily, the, the outside response is not necessarily joy and love and wonderfulness, is it? It's offense and anger. That's one, one way you may experience opposition is in the form of others' anger against you. We read in verse 2, in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, Samballot says, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Another way that you might experience opposition in your life is through mockery and sarcasm. The word sarcasm, the etymology behind the word sarcasm, comes from the word sarcophagus, from the dead. There's something of of mockery and, and, and making fun of that doesn't sit well in the kingdom of God. And it's one way that you'll experience opposition in your life. Sam Ballot and his buddies gather within hearing distance of the people who are putting hammer to nail and building these walls. What are these feeble Jews doing? Can they offer sacrifices? What does he mean there? He means, do they think that they can complete this project and offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to their God? After each of these rhetorical questions, his his buddies probably roared with laughter. Can you hear him? Can you hear him when Tobiah throws in his sarcastic bark? If a, if a fox should jump on this poor excuse for a wall, he would break it down. The enemy frequently will use ridicule against those who take a stand for the Lord. Your fellow co-workers might mock you. They might call you a holy Joe or Joanna and say, what are, what are you trying to do? Stand on some moral high ground? How, how arrogant of you to say that, you, that there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to peace. How arrogant of you to say that. How many of you have experienced this? 
I know I have. Many of you have, yes. How arrogant for you to believe that there's one way. Another way we can experience opposition is through threats and intimidation. If anger and ridicule won't work, threats are more aggressive. Nehemiah's enemies had to be careful since he was working under Artaxerxes' permission. He's working under a foreign king's authority. Sambalat and Tobiah couldn't just rally troops against Nehemiah. That would, be, uh, that would be folly strategically, geopolitically. They couldn't, they couldn't do that. But they could use threats of violence. In chapter 4, verse 8, we read this. They all plotted together to come up and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. Also in verse 11, also our enemies said, before they know it, Or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Those are some pretty, those are some pretty strong threats. When you've got a a leader of of a region or a country who's threatening murder and to destroy the work, those are pretty serious threats. And it's it's. uh, Interesting to see that threats and intimidation always come from sources who have no authority. Just let that one settle a bit. Threats and intimidation will always come from sources who have no authority. You see, because the thing about the authority you carry in the kingdom is that it's gentle authority. Jesus never led out of fear or manipulation, right? Jesus always leads out of love. That's how you can know it's Jesus. If, if the thing that he's calling you to is, is self-sacrificial and is marked by love, you can be pretty sure that, what it, that it's Jesus who's calling you into that thing. Jesus never le- leads out of fear or manipulation, True authority never needs to prove itself either. Did you know that? This is a poignant word for, for Cleveland right now. We don't need we don't, we have nothing to prove as Clevelanders. There's always historically there's always been in this city a need to prove ourselves. We've got to prove we're not under some athletic curse. We're, we are better than what the records say. We've got to uh, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're blue collar. We have got to prove ourselves. That's not the economy of the kingdom. It's not earned. LeBron's championship was not earned, as the media would tell you. It's a grace of God. It's a mark of grace on the people in the region, in this region. Everything in Northeast Ohio is an act of grace. Nothing is earned in Northeast Ohio. When you hear... The media or people even on the team say, what they want to say is, we worked hard to achieve this. But what they unintentionally say is that they deserve what they got. If we got what we deserved, we'd be in bad shape. Would you agree? Nothing in Northeast Ohio is earned. Everything is a grace. Nothing in Central Ohio is earned. Everything is a grace. Nothing in Southern Ohio is earned. Everything is a grace. And yes, Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Everything in Georgia 
is a grace. Nothing's earned. Be careful for, be careful for what you're earning when you get what you deserve. When you say, I want what's coming to me, when you say, I want what I deserve, you're in trouble already. I don't want what I deserve. And I know that there are many out there who don't want what they deserve either. That's what grace is, getting what you don't deserve. Do we deserve to be NBA champions? Probably not. We didn't play really well. Grace is, um, grace is like that. So you'll receive threats and intimidation as part of opposition. And the critics will use discouragement as a weapon to get you to stop working. Any, anything, to get, anything to get your focus away from the thing that God has called you to do. Anything that will, will draw your gaze away from the person he's calling you to be in your community will be tried against you. And it'll look like threats and intimidation. And it always comes from people or sources. I shouldn't say people because our, our battle's not against flesh and blood, right? But it's going to come from sources who have no authority. Another way that you can you, that you may experience opposition is through discouragement and exhaustion. We read in verse 10, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Opposition will come in the form of exhaustion. Now, what am I saying? Getting tired isn't a form of opposition. We're human. We get tired. Some of you are really sleepy right now. You're like, gosh, I really don't feel like listening to him. I could really take a nap right now. That would be one of the best things for me. So you're more than welcome. Get some holy rest. You need it. People get tired. We get tired. We, you put your hands to, to labor in the kingdom of God. You, you, you put your hands to putting Jesus central in your home as a mom or a dad with 14 toddlers running around. I don't know who has 14 kids, but 14 toddlers running around, dirty diapers. You're going to get tired. You're going to get tired. You're, you're being asked as someone who, who likes to serve, who likes to be in ministry. You're, you're being asked to to satisfy the needs of others all, the, all of the time. That's tiring work. That's tiring work. I have no idea why anyone would want to be a pastor. You're going to get tired. I don't say that out of a form of being a victim. I love it. I love caring for people. I love building relationships with people. It's wonderful. So I'm not a victim. I, lo- I love doing that. But I realize that it's tiring work. There are many of you who who serve in capacity in your neighborhoods, in your communities, who know what I'm talking about. You get weary. You get tired. Whether you're starting a business or maintaining a business, overseeing a business, whether you're caring for a, a loved one or, or you're visiting people in the hospital. We, Tom and I went, and went to Cleveland Clinic this past week and visited a, a friend of ours from um, the Delaware City Vineyard who's, who's up here at Cleveland Clinic, and uh, 
she and her husband have been in, in te- neurological ICU for the past week, and he's had two brain hemorrhages. His head is stitched up all the way back to the back of his skull, and he's got problems in his liver, and, and there's, there's Kate. You know, his wife and is, is standing firm. She's tired. That's tiring, caring for a loved one. And Tom and I got to witness that this week. That's tiring. It takes it out of you. We all get weird, weary. Experiencing illness in our bodies, that makes us tired. It's part of life. But the challenge is for us is not to take on weariness as an identity. How do we respond? How do we respond to these forms of opposition, of fear? There's other forms of opposition. In verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Don't be afraid. You're tired? Don't be afraid. You're experiencing negativism and criticism in your journey? Don't be afraid. God has not given you his spirit to live in a life of fear. God has given you his spirit of power and of love and of clarity of mind. For you to step into the thing that God is calling you to be for your community, you're going to have to say no to fear. You're going to have to take courage, as Joshua reminded the people. Be strong and courageous. Don't be timid. Don't don't shrink back from opposition. How do we respond then? How do we respond to opposition? There's a, a, a myriad of ways that we could respond. We could respond by running away from it. Have you done that one before? You experience, op- I know I have, you experience opposition. You say, and we cower back and we say, ah, oh, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe, maybe this leadership role isn't for me. Maybe I should just go back. You play the role of the Israelites in Egypt. It was so much better back there. Oh, really? It was so much better back there under, under, in slavery, mixing mud and and bricks, building a foreign empire. It was so much better back then. We put on the rose-colored glasses, and we say it was so much better, and we run from opposition. And we give up right before our time. Isn't that the, isn't that the case sometimes, that we give up right before we see fruit? Right before the Red Sea is parted, we turn back to Egypt. Say, I'm sick of manna. I'm sick of quail every day. When God is giving it as a sign of freshness to his word. I'm sick of this. I'm going back to Egypt when he's just about ready to part the Red Seas. Don't give up. We need to hear this this morning. Don't give up. Don't don't live in fear. So how do we do this? How do we respond to opposition? Well... Nehemiah responds, not by running away, not by um, not acknowledging that opposition doesn't exist. Sometimes we like to sweep it under the rug. Sometimes we like to say everything's just fine when it's not. We are experiencing legitimate opposition in our lives, and we need to acknowledge that before the Lord. How does Nehemiah deal with that? 
Well, we see in verses 4 and verse 9, Nehemiah prays. He experiences opposition, and in verse 4, he says, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised, he acknowledges. Turn their insults back on their own heads. We can get to that in a minute. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. And then in verse 9, But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. This is good stuff for us. When we experience opposition, we don't want to turn it back on their own heads. Okay? Let's, this, is, this is not a model for us to follow. We're not calling down thunder and lightning and fire from heaven. We're not, dang. We're not, <laughs> vengeance is mine, says the Lord, okay? Please don't call down fire. The people of Vineyard Cleveland called down fire on this section of town. No, we're not going to be that. Remember when the disciples come to Jesus? Do you want us to rain down fire on them? Jesus doesn't say, yeah, do it. You should do that. Jesus says, no, don't do that. In Matthew 26, Jesus calls them in a similar way as Nehemiah says. Jesus says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Pray and watch. Pray and watch. Pray and watch. That's what our, that's what our response to opposition should be. In any form, pray and watch. Nehemiah sets a guard. He prays, and then he sets a guard. John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, and he said this about prayer. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. How good is that? You can do, I'll say it, you can do more than pray, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. You see, Nehemiah's first response to opposition is to pray. When we pray, we're, we're inviting the reality of heaven. We're saying, Jesus, where you are, let it be where we are. We're inviting the future reality of the kingdom of God to invade our present situation. That's what we're doing. So in essence, when you, when you pray for your community, when you pray for that lost son or daughter, when you, when you pray for, for your family member who's addicted to drugs or, or alcohol, and alcoholism, what you're doing is you're rewriting the script. You're changing the narrative because there's power in what you pray. A lot of times we just pray and let the prayers kind of dribble from our mustaches and, and our lips and we think that those aren't strong enough to get to heaven. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus hears your prayers and he responds to your prayers. I challenge every one of us to begin to journal our prayers. Hear us, oh God. Hear us, oh God. I'm in, I'm in trouble. I need help. And you watch as your life unfolds and God answers every single one of them. Now, it may not be the answer that you intended. It may not be the answer that you want or you feel like is best for your life. But since when did you become the governor of your life? 
Since when did you know what's best for your life? Your father knows what's best for you. He loves you. And as you pray, you rewrite the narrative of the city around you. Not just for your heart, but your prayers have the authority to shift uh, school systems. Your prayers have the authority. Your prayers have the power to shift the judicial system in the greater city of Cleveland. Did you know that? You're not just praying, oh God, keep me safe. You're, you're praying to rewrite the story of the city of Cleveland or wherever you land. You're praying. When you, when you tuck your son or your daughter into bed at night, you're, you're praying for their future. You're, you're writing their future in the kingdom. Let favor rest on Luca. Let, let favor rest on Winnie. As they walk, protect them as they go about their days. Keep, keep the evil one far from them. You're setting angels. You're, you're setting watches as you pray. You're not just reciting some dead liturgy. There's power on what you pray. Ask anybody who's lost a loved one. There's, there's power on what you pray. Who is Jesus close to? He's near to the brokenhearted. Ask anyone who's lost a loved one. They'll tell you how quickly Jesus' peace floods in where they've experienced loss. He's faithful to answer. He's faithful to answer. So that's how we respond to opposition. We pray, and then we also, finally, we also put our hearts into the work. Chapter 4, verse 6 says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. The people worked with all of their heart. When we, when we put our hands to something in the kingdom... We're going to experience opposition. And the challenge is when the sand ballots and Tobias come around your life and your journey, Nehemiah doesn't respond by arguing with them. He knows his authority. Nehemiah doesn't respond by fighting them. Nehemiah responds by influencing and encouraging his people to work hard. Work hard. Put your heart, put your full heart into what you're doing. Put your whole heart. If you're going to serve the poor, put your whole heart into it. If you're going to watch kids, you're going to care for kids, put your whole heart into it. If you're going to bring meals to shut-ins, put your whole heart into it. If you're going to minister to those who are addicted to drugs or alcohol, put your whole heart into it. If you're going to serve down at healing on the streets, put your whole heart into it. Give your life away. He's worth it. Jesus is worth it. And it's, it's the number one way to respond to bullies is to not be distracted and say, I can't listen right now. I can't listen to this right now. I'm acknowledging that you're here. I hear you. I hear you. But I've got stuff to do. My father's telling me this to do. i got to get stuff done. I've got to put my, my hands and my whole heart to work. But how often, how often are we like, maybe they're right. 
Maybe we'll never get this wall built. How often do we believe the voice of fear, the voice of discouragement, over the voice of our Father? They respond by putting their whole heart, and they set a watch. They kept their eyes open in vigilance, and they kept their minds, lastly, focused on the Lord. It's not their wall. Samballot and Tobiah didn't understand who was with the Jews. Samballot and Tobiah didn't understand that it wasn't the Jews who were building the wall, per se. This was the Lord's wall. The Lord was building this wall. And Samballot and Tobiah came around and they said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they rebuild their wall? That's often the, the thing with critics as well and discouragement. They'll, 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 they'll speak half-truths to you. There may be a little bit of truth in that. But it wasn't the Jews' wall. It was the Lord's wall. They keep their minds focused on the Lord. In verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When opposition hits, it's easy to get your focus off the Lord and onto your problems. It's easy to stop when opposition hits, but remember the Lord. Paul says in Colossians, if you're tempted to some sin, remember the devastating effects that it's going to have on your family. Get God's perspective on your situation. And apart from sin avoidance, when it comes to bringing life to every area of our community, get your life, get your, get your focus off of the problem and on to the Lord. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your ears on Jesus. What's he saying about your life? Remind yourself. Remind yourself. Encourage your own soul of who you are in the Lord and, and, who, and what you carry in the kingdom. It's good to affirm yourself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Encourage yourself in the Lord. And remember to hear the Lord's heart for who you are and what you're called to bring, what you're called to carry into the life of the city. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Set up milestones in your life so that you can look back and say, He was faithful to me then. He's going to be faithful to me now. He was faithful to me then. He's going to be faithful to me in the future. This opposition is nothing new. Nehemiah is experiencing what we experience on a daily basis. You're going to experience opposition. He was faithful then. He's going to be faithful again. Every time you see a a rainbow in the sky, you should remember that you serve a God who keeps his promises. The opposition is going to last for a night, but the morning is coming. The morning is coming. Keep your mind focused on the Lord. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees us. He's He's not a stranger to our suffering. He has compassion on us. He's not a stranger to the opposition you're facing. He knows that you're, you're facing opposition in your life. He knows it. And he's with you in it. And just like Nehemiah, as you respond to opposition in prayer and remembering the Lord, you'll find yourself moving through opposition and advancing, taking territory 
that you never would have dreamed possible. Now, it always won't look like what you think it'll look like. And you may, you may come through with a limp, and that's good. Limps are good for us sometimes. But you'll come through. Why? Because Jesus knows you. He knows every, every fiber of hair on your head. He knows every working of, of the cells in your body. He knows you, and he knows the opposition you're facing. Why don't you join me in standing?